Welcome back everyone to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua Dub underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I hope you are buckled up because you are about to go on a fabulous trip with an amazing educator and author, and I'm so excited to speak with her this evening as I have been connected with her for a while. She had a podcast a long time ago, and unfortunately, it got ixnate. I, I kind of want to hear the story about this, so hopefully we can talk about it and a bunch of other educational topics, but Noah Daniel is with me this evening, and I am so excited to speak with her about so many amazing topics, including mentorship. So, Noah, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I aspired to be here for a while. <laughs> well, when we've been connected in multiple ways, uh, your book is through EduMatch, and I love that community and, and that publishing group, Sarah Thomas. I mean, she's just fantastic. So we've been connected in that way, but then also just in the podcast community. And I was supposed to be on your podcast, the, the P3 podcast. And I want to hear the story behind why that, that went away and why you started your new podcast on Ed Mentors. Okay, well, it's a crazy story, but I was never going to be a podcaster. And I was invited <laughs> onto the panel of what was called On Ed Mentors five years ago. And I would show up every week and eventually started producing the show. And then whenever the host wasn't there, I'd be the backup host. And then all of a sudden he said, okay, no, I want you to take over the show. And I happened to have started the mentory. And I was like, wouldn't it be so cool if what I learned here could feed into our learning community? And then what was happening in our learning community would tell me what the burning issues in education were, and I could be responsive to that. So it's a really poetic addition to our work at the mentory. And it really helps me do the kind of work that I want to do with educators. So it's quite wonderful. But about two years in, Stephen Hurley, who started Voice Ed Radio, said to me, Noah, you have a podcast in you. And I was like, Stephen, there is no podcast here. And he's like, come on. And I happened to have just finished school that day. And my students had just finished, which at what at the time was called the PS2, which was a personal Sam track, because I do these things called building outside the blocks projects. And this was the second of what I call a tribob. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I was like, well, that's not cool anymore. What if it was a playlist? And literally while I was sitting there, I'm like, what if we called it the personal playlist podcast and people came on and they shared their nostalgic identity and pick me up songs and we would learn so much about educators and show how you could build community in the classroom with this project and students. And not only was it this incredible conduit to learn about people, yeah. they had built these amazing relationships with educators and this intimate half hour experience that I could call on them for on ed mentors and say, hey, we're doing this episode on this. And I thought, of you. So it's been really powerful for me. I still do the project. I got to do a TED talk on that project and why it's so powerful in the classroom. So it's something I still share when I present on my projects. It's not lost, but there were new rules. And basically I was getting a notification because there's music and there's a lot of copyright issues that like, okay, no, I can't use this music, but I was only using it up till the chorus. But (laughs) I was getting really like felt personal as I was getting these notifications and they were taking down episode after episode. And I felt like it was people's stories. So it was really immediate for me to make that call. And I decided to walk away, but the love will always be there for the future. I love the concept and we're going to talk more about the TEDx and and your project. I jumped right into that topic, but I I really want to learn also about yourself because I know you got your hand in a lot of things. You're in the classroom, you're a consultant, you also are an author, but if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about your educational and leadership journey. 
Sure. Well, my leadership journey is not a straight line and I have been leading all my life and it took me a really long time to know that I had been waiting for that magical tap on the shoulder saying I was ready to go to this role. And that whole idea of leadership as mission over position was something that I was destined to realize eventually. And so I had decided that I was going to, in order to be the teacher I wanted to be, I was going to go to public school. I just finished getting my principal's certification and knew I didn't want to do that. And that was an epiphany for me because I thought, well, how else am I going to lead? But that was all part of the master plan of building outside the blocks because that's what I've always done. I found a way to lead when there wasn't necessarily this perfect space of leadership. And so I had always been creating scenarios for students to feel visible and valuable. And I had always been leading workshops. And so when I left my very secure job and went to public school, I was a supply teacher, like a substitute. And at the same time, I had started my consulting practice and I was working with schools to build projects and initiatives for them. And it was this wonderful contrast. I had understood leadership in these official roles and I had found my own way to permit myself to call myself a leader, even though I was always going to be a classroom teacher. And that really empowered me to find leadership from the classroom and to be so proud of that work, to be able to always have real examples from my classroom of the projects that my students were doing. And when I say that they're culturally responsive, I can show you know, evidence from my students' responses work. It's not just because I'm seeing it. So it really granted my practice. But at the same time, it, it's not enough for me. I needed to have more reach and more impact. And funny enough, when I started the mentory, people would say to me, well, universities aren't going to talk to you. You're a classroom teacher. How are you going to engage in the conversations to support teachers from pre-service through retirement? And I went, I don't know. Well, let me try. And amazingly enough, people did talk to me and I have been able to build not only this incredible community where there are people who on the leadership team help me meet every week to evolve our community, people who get to lead in their own ways. And we've really, we've really adapted what we did in response to our community, which makes me feel proud. And I'm able to call lots of different kinds of people in lots of different positions and me not having that official role hasn't impeded that. So I feel very proud to be able to, you know, be on a board of Learning Forward Ontario as a leader from the classroom. I think there need to be more of us out there. Oh, for sure. And I, I love that it, the position doesn't matter. You're still be able to serve and, and do a wonderful job in that. And you talked about the mentory program and, and that being a learning community but I want to learn a little bit about the passion behind it of, of just mentorship. Like, where did that come from? Why do you believe so powerfully into the service of mentorship? Well, it's one of the keynotes that I do, but really, truly, I went to a school, I was at an IB school, and I had been brought there by the, the head of school. And new teachers at that school got to meet with a curriculum coach. And they, the, my head of school told me I didn't get to meet with that person because I was too seasoned and too advanced. And they had chosen me. And I said, but this is a new context. And it's IB and there's so much I don't know. And I would really benefit from this experience. And when I started meeting Ricky, she challenged me and she would send me resources. And eventually I became a better teacher because she was asking me questions. And then she was the one who said, what are these projects that you do that the kids are talking about in the hallways? Like I hear them, Noah, what's happening. And I'm like, I don't know. It's like I'm building outside the blocks, but I don't know what that is. And she sat with me week after week and we unpacked what I did. 
And I didn't know it was different. And I didn't know that there was magic. I just knew that it was magical in my space. But when I was able to communicate what I was doing, I really saw that mentorship is that guide on the side, but it's also something that has to be what you choose. So what we do is not a program. It is a self-directed, non-hierarchical mentorship experience that has no shelf life. So you could find a mentor from the directory for a day, or you could have that mentor. We have the longest relationship right now is four years going oh my goodness. and it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to give to every educator what I had that was so transformative for me. All right. So the mentory, let's, let's break down the program. So if someone is like, yes, I don't have someone in my building that I, I can go to as a mentor and I don't really know anyone else, potentially in a neighboring district. Would your program be something or your professional community be somewhere they could go for that? A hundred percent. So you can look up a person as a mentor or as a mentee. Um, mentees can also decide to have a profile. That was something that we evolved when we were doing our web development because some people really don't know how to ask for help. So they kind of just put themselves up there and then the mentor can come to them. But any person at any stage of their career can come to the community. It's free. And we have people there who are volunteering their time because they know the power of mentorship and they know how important it is to not feel isolated. And so often we're in situations, even mentorship scenarios that are mandated or that there are specific outcomes that they're being measured and administrators are evaluating you. And we wanted it to be non-evaluative. We wanted it to be a scenario where we train our mentors what it means to be responsive to people and meet them where they are and to use questioning and to use our sense of self to help people move forward because we want people to have places to learn, develop professionally, to feel good about themselves and to have a sense of well-being. But all those things relate to each other. So if you're not feeling very smart, you're not going to want to raise your hand and say, Hey, I need a mentor, but in our community, of course you can have a mentor. And I've been mentored by mentees. I have many different mentors and I'm I'm very lucky that anytime I hit a scenario, whether it's somebody in my community or somebody beyond, I go because I've developed that mentorship mindset where I know that that for me, I'm also an interpersonal learner. So it's particularly useful for me because I can't really learn until I've talked about it. Mm I believe that this is a solution for educators and I'm, I'm hoping to build a sustainable community over the long term. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I want to change gears a little bit. I want to go back to a topic that you mentioned, which was your TEDx talk. And it was on a project. I'm curious on what the TEDx talk was about and why the project was so successful. Well, it goes back to my podcast. It was really about using music in the classroom to help kids see themselves, to help them tell their stories, and to help the class share in the narrative that each music piece can tell. Because I've had students through this project, the Personal Playlist Project, tell stories about their grandmother in China who used to sing this song to them or this Bollywood dance that they wanted to perform in front of their class. They ever have a chance to do that or this like hard rock song that they have all the swear words taken out of because it's school, but (laughs) you get the gist that the song that when that person is feeling low, it shifts their zone. 
So it really not only models for the class what music can do, but it really allows us to get to know each other. And I use my class time to have students get to know themselves because not only do I want them to meet curricular objectives, I want them to feel like a deeper sense of who they are. I think that's a good segue to your book. It actually is a very good segue. Well done. Strum and the Wild Turkeys uh, from Angie Match. Um, I I would love to learn more about your your book and kind of the concept and, and how you use that in the classroom. Well, that's another. So I build outside the blocks. It just happens this way. But I I was being commissioned to write a story and the guys sent me a picture of a peacock and five wild turkeys and said, basically their peacock had escaped its enclosure on their ranch. And they thought something had happened to it. And a year later on a trail cam, they saw what looked like a peacock leading a pack of wild turkeys. Noah, go write the book. And I was like, well, I'm working on a Ted talk right now, but maybe (laughs) later, but ironically, like it was actually the timing was surreal. So my TED talk got moved and I'm having all this creative juice flow. And I called them back and I said, okay, let me play with it and see what happens. And I really attribute it to the thinking of my TED talk, because as I was doing research, I saw that peacocks make vocalizations and music. So I was like, I wonder if turkeys make music besides gobble. And I go and I start learning that turkeys make distinct sounds called cut, gobble, kiki, and yelp. And I thought those are some good names. And I started to decide that those were the names of the members of the band. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the band is called the Wild Turkeys. That's awesome. <laughs> and then I started to write about Pete the Peacock. And my dilemma was, well, what, what would a peacock ever have to do with a pack of wild turkeys? Why would they be in a band? And I thought, well, what if a peacock had an imperfect plume? How would they handle that? You know, peacocks are so known for it and they walk around with this pride. What would happen it with a self-conscious peacock and where would he wear his plume? And I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to wear it across his chest and he's going to strum it. And I was telling my friend about Pete, the peacock strumming. And I'm like, no, his name is strum. And I kind of pulled over at the side of the road and the rest of the story just unfolded from there. And I really believe that it's like a fish out of water story, ugly duckling story, but ultimately about how when you find belonging within yourself, that attracts belonging from a larger group. And the wild turkeys was like, hey, dude, I dig your sound. What's up with that? And that sound was that transformation of strum kind of singing into the night. I think I'm alone, but I'm happy because the people that make me feel bad about myself aren't around me anymore. Different is good. And that's where what's so cool is that the song that I wrote in the book that wasn't a full song, the team of people that I worked with to make this book happen said, well, why don't you write a song? It's like, but I don't write songs. And they're like, well, just see what happens. And I did. And not only did I have the melody of the chorus, I wrote the lyrics for the rest of the song. And then the guys that had originally commissioned me, I said, I need somebody to help me compose this. And they sent me to a musician and we composed a song that's actually coming out on an album. So like this month, and I'm so, I don't know how it's going to sound like this, this children's duo sunshine and broccoli recorded it and I'm nervous, but like thrilled. And yeah, so I wrote the second story and I wrote three more songs and I'm on, I'm, I have a vision of where this is going to go. All right. So do you have any music background prior to this? 
Now, as I say in my TED talk, I grew up around music. My yeah. dad owned record stores. So I used to work in the stores and I would get paid in 45s. And if I was lucky, I got to use the heat sealer to like close the albums, but I didn't like, I don't play an instrument. I can't hear. I, I'm not astute as a listener, but I'm, I break into song regularly and in casual conversation, something will turn into a lyric that off Noah goes to so, <laughs> so yes, I'm musical, but I'm not musical in any traditional way. Yeah, there's definitely a gift there, especially with the lyrics piece. That's, that's amazing. I love that story. So how do you do it all, Noah? I mean, like you are a teacher, but then you've got the TEDx, you're an author, you've got the mentory, you also got the building outside the blocks projects. I mean, like, how are you managing all of these different things? Joyfully, um, <laughs> sometimes not as well as I would have liked. I have three daughters and they asked me to be more present. And that's hard for me, not because I don't love them, because my brain is always going and yeah. it's hard to slow it down. But during the pandemic, there were so many needs that were more important, mm -hmm. but I happened to be working on all this stuff. So like the book was written through the pandemic and my children were experiencing some of the things Strum was experiencing. So I really had to stop myself. Every time I looked at Strum, I was like, what would you need right now? And I would go do that for my kids. So Strum was a gift to me as much as it was, you know, a book that seems to be a gift to lots of different kinds of people. And I'm working on being more present. I can't do it all. And I want to, yes. but not every day. Definitely have been there, done that, doing it now. <laughs> well, you have more kids. So I yes. So many kids. So many kids. <laughs> I want to talk about the building outside the blocks because uh, I know you do some consulting work. So what is it that you do in that space and, and how do you serve education? In my consulting work, I've built mentorship programs for people. I've used my projects as full school events. So one of my projects is What's in a Name? And I've been hired by schools to make the entire school go through that project and then have a video about their name stories and then have these activities related to names. So I can do a lot of things with the work that I do, but ultimately it's all about creating opportunities for engagement and for voice. So I'll do like a couple years ago, a board called me and asked me to create a program, for kids thinking about themselves and well-being. And I called it Word and created a series of activities to get kids looking self-word. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I do. Once in a while, I get called to do things that are way out of my realm of expertise. And I'll tell the person I can't do it. And they're like, no, you can, you'll figure it out. And it seems to work out that way too. So I, I, I really can't define what I do, except for that I can take a scenario and help create a community experience where, where people feel engaged and usually pretty excited. It seems like you are willing to go outside your comfort zone though with some of these projects all the time. It's funny cause I'm reading regret right now by D Daniel Pink. And one of the things he's talking about is the regret of not doing things. And I've, I think I have lived my life not having that regret. I have a lot of regrets of things I've done a little too boldly or a little <laughs> too quickly or zealously, but I, I usually don't regret not doing something. And I think that that's been important. I think I have a lot of regrets for silly things that I have done. But when I left that school, my tenure, my security, and started all of this, I left without any wings. And as I told Barbara Bray, who was the very first podcast I did when I 
did that. I really felt like I was building wings on the way, but part of it was this PLM experience of getting to call anybody and talk to them about the risks that they took. Like when you look at the graphic for your podcast and you think about that lone person on a cliff and the kind of acumen they have to have in order to even be up there, it's coupled with the context that they're in and the tools that they're able to call upon in those really hard moments. And I think that that's where building your PLN before you need it, having mentors in place before you're in a crisis situation can really help because you have sounding boards or you have people who have lived experiences that might be able to give you some guidance. Barbara Bray, she's amazing. I love her. She's on the Teach Better Podcast Network also, and she's phenomenal just in every way. She really is. I'm actually, I, we were supposed to come to the Teach Better conference. We, we applied as the mentor and they said yes, but I happened to accept a launching day for the book because we haven't done a public launch yet because it happened during COVID. Like I'm going to do my very first reading in person (laughs) tomorrow, but I've read to thousands of kids all over the world this year, but like, I cannot wait to feel the energy to teach them the song to like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. Anyway, that's going to be marvelous. Yeah. I mean, it's great doing it online, but it's, it's very different to be in person. It really is. Well, that was the thing about teaching over COVID. Like I had an, a virtual experience and I know, like I thought, oh gosh, I'll never be able to translate virtually. And I learned a lot and built a lot of skills, but I know I'm an in your face and in your space <laughs> kind of teacher. And I'm good with that. Well, you have just so many projects going on. Um, I want to talk about one last thing um, before we dive into our last question, which is the, not just a green screen summit. Oh, yes. Okay. So so Erica asked me to present at this and every person that knows me knows I'm trepidatious about ed tech and all of those tools, but I'm a learner and I'm totally cool with it. And she's like, well, why, what about your projects? And I'm like, oh, I can talk about Bob's all day long, but I have my students use all of those tools. I just don't mandate them. So I think it makes perfect sense at the not just a green screen summit to talk about how to use the building outside the blocks projects to invite students to build these curricular skills while also building learning skills, having these connection moments to their classmates and to themselves and really creating community around the projects. Like when I do my agenda for the day and we're working, so my bobs are usually presented over several weeks or even several months, depending on which project it is. And I'll be like, who's got a what's in a name today or who's doing precious cargo. And it just becomes part of the class culture. It's a really beautiful thing. So I'm going to get to share think I'm sharing five of my bobs. I have about 20 of them, oh, awesome. but some of them are tri bobs and you can see all of them on my website. So yes, come check out that summit, learn along with me at all the different kinds of tools that you can use and then create projects that are high yielding like bobs so that kids can use them in a way that helps them learn at the same time. So often we kind of get excited about tech and do the shiny piece without doing the grounding piece. Yeah, that's a great point. So no. I'm going to ask you about our actual item, right? So for our aspiring and current leaders, if there's anything they could do tomorrow or next week, what would you advise them to do to enhance their leadership journey? To enhance it. Well, I think that the first thing they need to do is know that they're on it, that they're in charge of it. They don't have to wait to be tapped on a shoulder or told that they're a leader. Leaders aren't about the role that you have. There are tons of people who are quote unquote leaders who know nothing at all about leadership. Leadership is what you're doing right now. So I want them to reframe their thinking around leadership. And if they're leading, then they're a leader. 100%. All 
All right, so you talked about your website a little bit, but how can people connect with you on social media? So they can connect with me at I am Noah Daniel. Funny enough, I used to be called Noah's Bobs and people wouldn't know what that was unless they knew what Bobs were. And right before the book came out, somebody said, you have to have the same handle in both places. So I'm like, well, what kind of handle do I need? They're like, well, who are you? And I said, I'm Noah Daniel. And they're like, well, that's your handle. And I was like, okay, so that is my handle. On Twitter and on Instagram, you can find all things about the book at Strum and TWT on Instagram and Twitter. I really like to talk about music and belonging and inclusion and all the other themes of the book through my socials. And I, I post on blogs and you can find my website, buildingoutsidetheblocks.com. It connects you to all the things that I do. Awesome. And I'll have, of course, all of those in the show notes, including your book. Make sure you're checking out Strum and the Wild Turkeys. So excited for everyone to be able to get their hands on that book. It's it's phenomenal. I love the graphics on the the book too. I you know what? It's crazy because I've never worked with an artist before. So she was so nice to let me weigh in on every single thing. I had complete creative control and autonomy is a really big feature of my leadership. So yes. this was an amazing experience all around and she made it all great. So thank you for saying that. Well, as a former art teacher and someone who created their own cover of their own book, yeah, graphics is really passion of mine <laughs> nice we should have that conversation on on end mentors we we'll, we'll talk about that after the recording talk about that later but <laughs> okay i'll have links to your podcast also and and all the things that you're doing and no i'm just i'm in awe really of all of the many things that you're doing you are a fabulous educator leader um, i'm so excited for your projects coming up and i just really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with everyone on the aspire podcast well thank you so much for making time for me cheers Are you excited that in-person conferences are back? I know I am. In fact, I'm excited to announce that I'll be at the 2022 Teach Better Conference this October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio. I'll be recording episodes live in Podcast Row, attending sessions, speaking, and connecting with a whole bunch of amazing educators. It would be awesome if you could join us. Head over to teachbetterconference.com slash register and use the code ASPIRE2022 to save $50 off your two-day registration. I hope to see you in October.